Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation hosted a symposium on musical theater in 2003, moderated by Daniela Topol, then the National Alliance for Musical Theater's New Works Program Director. The panel featured Urinetown Director John Rando, Thomas Cott, then Artistic Director of Musical Theater Works, John Kimball, then Artistic Director of North Shore Music Theater, General Manager Nancy Gibbs, Devonand Janke, choreographer of Xanadont, and Director Gabriel Barry. This conversation provides various perspectives on new musicals and their life in New York, regional, and international stages. Hello, I'm SDC Director Choreographer Edie Cowan, and you are listening to Masters of the Stage. This program is produced by the Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation and presented by the SDCF and the American Theatre Wing. The SDCF has released these archives in an effort to further education regarding the crafts of direction and choreography. Because this program was not initially recorded for the purpose of broadcast, it is not of the highest technical quality. Portions of the conversation may have been edited to improve the overall quality of the broadcast. In true musical theater fashion, we're going to end the day with a finale <laughs> and a button. Um, and uh, since we did a whole symposium last year in musical theater, uh, but we did want to include have a musical theater ses session this year, um, we thought we would talk. We had a, the, the foundation did a seminar with the National Alliance for Musical Theater in the fall, wasn't it in the fall? Um, called New Roads to New Musicals. Just prior to the public seminar, though, a group of directors and a group of NAMP producers met in a room at NAMP's request to talk about any, are there any new paradigms, are there any new venues for musical theater development given the economics? Because the, the, the costs just keep going up and up and up. It's hard, it's, a, was already, it's already hard for theaters to produce of musicals from reading through production. It's gotten even harder. So is there anything that the directors could think of that would help the institutions in terms of musical theater development? The musical theater development, the theaters had questions they wanted to ask the directors. So we had this little conflict. And it was great. And the feedback was terrific. So we thought that for the musical theater session today, that we might continue that conversation and sort of expand it and bring it to you guys. So we've asked a couple of artistic directors and a couple of directors to join us today to talk about musical theater development. The moderator for the afternoon for the session is Daniela, so I'm going to turn it over to her. So um, the, just to give you a context, the National Alliance for Musical Theater is a service organization for producers and presenters from around the country. And one part of our mission is to nurture the creation of new musicals. And so we have, like Joe just said, a series of forums and dialogues and festivals all about new musical development and production. And there are a series of questions that keep on coming up, which is, what is the path for a new musical from development to production? How do I create a urine town? How do I create a Xanadu? Um, Who's, who's creating the momentum for a new musical? Is it the producer? Is it the director? Is it both? What roles do they play in creating momentum? And what we're seeing more and more also is the importance of collaboration and co-production. 
So how are theaters working with commercial producers? How are theaters working with other theater, theaters around the country? What's the role of the regional theater with the New York theater? And these are some of the questions that we're going to look at today by shooting questions at each of our panelists based on their experience, because they are at the forefront of the musical development and production, both inside of the rehearsal room and outside of the rehearsal room. So um, why don't we start with you, John Brando, and ask you, how did your in town happen, and what was your role in creating the momentum for having that happen? Right. Uh, your in town, uh, what, it started uh, as a small idea and um, about peeing. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> was it, that wasn't my idea. Uh, they, uh, Greg Cotis, Mark Holman, the composer and the, the lyricist and the uh, book writer, they had this script they, that they were developing, and they met with uh, Joe, I forgot his first last name, but we used to run The Fringe, and, and they said, uh, we got this really sick idea we'd like to do for the festival. We'd like to do a musical, if you can imagine, Brett meeting The Simpsons, um, that would be something that we would want to do, and we think that it's about pe- a place where people cannot pee for free, where they have to pay large sums of money. And, and he said he thought that was just a terrible idea, and therefore you should do it. And so <laughs> they wrote it, they had, they had it, they, he presented it, um, and they did a version of it. I was not involved with that. They did a version of it at the Fringe Festival, um, and, and uh, with, with success. Um, and uh, then. The, the young producing company named uh, the Araka Group, uh, with Mike Rigo and Matt Rigo, um, they saw it and they got the rights and they felt like they could produce this thing and try to take it to its next level. And um, they called me and said, go see it, and I couldn't see it. Um, so they, uh, so I said, send it to me and I'd like to read it. Because they thought, they knew me, they knew my work, and they, they thought that I, would, I was stupid stupid and twisted and weird enough for, for what your intent is. So I, so I said, great. And so I got the script and I read it and I, and I flipped. I thought, God, it's just stupid, twisted and weird, just like me. So that's the right script for me. And, um, and then from that moment, which was in August of 99, I guess, um, it was a year and a half, uh, a little more than a year and a half before, before we opened off-Broadway. So we opened off-Broadway at that on special place, which I can talk about in a minute. So it took us a year and a half to get from there to that place. This, the, the next step, after I met with the writers, and we agreed about where to take the script and where to take the show the, to the next level, we decided the most important thing to do would be to have a, uh, a really stellar Broadway cast do a reading of it, just a reading presentation. Uh, we booked the New Dramatist space, um, and we got together this group, because they had only heard it with the Fringe Festival actors peeing all over the floor. No. Um, they had only heard it with the Fringe, and they, and they, they didn't sing. They didn't sing. They sang, but they really didn't sing well. And so it was in, illuminating for them to actually hear their script with, with real singers. And we, we went to uh, the new dramatist. This was about six months after that initial conversation. And um, we did a reading. It was a very, it was a wintry day, and I, I in the meantime, uh, my agent Bill Craver at Writers and Artists, um, I said to him, "Look, 
I, I got the script. It's you're in town. He said, oh, I saw that at the Fringe Festival. And he, he said, I, I don't know what, 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 you want to do it? I, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, I really want to do it. And, uh, and I said, I think you have to represent these guys. I think it's really critical. Sign them up. And so he, he did. He signed them up. And at that point, um, this was in that period before the reading, right before the reading, about a week before we were doing this reading, um, uh, we, we were not getting the kind of people that we wanted to come. We were getting friends and other people who wanted it. There was a good buzz, but we weren't getting the right people. What I mean by that is the money people uh, to come and hear it. And um, so uh, Craver called Michael David at the Dodgers and said, uh, there's a reading Thursday at this time. You must cancel everything that you have and go to this reading. And um, and that's actually literally what Michael David had to do. I mean, he he was he said, I, I have to see this. And Craver said, no, 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 you must go. You must go. You have to. I'm not, I don't do this often, so go. Um, we did the reading. It was uh, it, after the reading, um, uh, Michael David from the Dodgers walked up to me and said, it is so bad. It's brilliant. I really want to do this. We're going to do this. And um, that was perfect. That was exactly what you wanted to hear. Was that, oh, it gets how terrible it is. Uh, so then, um, then it was a long journey from there um, after that stage. Because what happened is the Rocket Group, great, smart, young producers with not a lot of money, and at that point, not a lot of clout in the city, um, wanted to put on a 16-character musical with a band, so that's a pretty big, hefty thing. Um, so then it was really the, the relationship between myself, uh, the producing groups, the two groups, the Dodgers and the Arakas, the writers, and and we had several meetings about how to actually make your in town happen. And one thing we knew, much to my much to my great distress, and much to my enormous. Uh, uh, <laughs> just deeply, deeply angry concern, but it didn't matter. I knew this is the way it should be done, is that the, we really believed that it should cost nothing to produce this musical. Um, and the Dodgers were really adamant about it. Um, and <laughs> those of you that know the Dodgers, you know why. But, but also because, 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 no, it's really, Michael was really brilliant about this. Uh, and I, I, much to his credit, we knew it had to be that way. But it was so good to hear it from the old sage, sage producers saying, "No, no money on this, and it'll you guys will really make it work." Uh, uh, <laughs> so, so that's so that we agreed to that. So then it was about finding a space, and it, it, we took, it took us eight, nine months to find a space. We went to several uh, out of the way places. What we all agreed on. And it was a producerial idea. The show had to open under under the radar. We 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 didn't want anyone to know about you're in town at all that we were doing it. Um, and we didn't want, especially, we didn't want the papers to to, to sort of pay attention to us. A great great producerial way to get a lot of people in the theater. Nobody knows it's happening. <laughs> so uh, that's what they did. <laughs> so. Um, so, but it was really a smart way to behave because we, we knew that we had a really wicked, weird title that no one would really want to go see. 
so we were under we had a lot of challenges and so I should wrap it up quickly um, so anyway uh, uh, we we uh, we finally found this place on 54th Street ATA those of you that know it and we went in there and it was had the, like blacks and it sort of had they were you know they do plays and stuff and I said no it should just be this empty shell and so we we, we went in there and we had to convince the guy that we were going to he really didn't want us to do this but we were going to totally upgrade his theater. We were going to clean out these rooms that were just packed with stuff and create this enormous, beautiful, carpeted dressing room. One dressing room. We were going to actually fix the toilet for him. We were going to, you know, strip down all these blacks and clean the walls. And then, and we were really ready to do this. And we were going to pay like, you know, ten thousand dollars to do it. You know, I mean, which wasn't isn't a lot of money in our day and age. But actually, you can do a lot, especially for, with volunteer people. And the rocket group. Guys literally had office guys going in and cleaning up the space and doing it. So he finally, after much negotiation, agreed. Agreed. This was after we had tried to cut a deal with four different other spaces, but just they all just didn't seem to be right. Um, so uh, jump cut. We're there. Uh, we finally got a place. We finally got a date, and we go into rehearsal. And we're scheduled to 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 go um, Tuesday through Sunday. That's that schedule. And um, I suggest, because of my schedule, to, as we hit late previews, I had to leave the, the city, I had to go away. And I suggest what would really be wise is that if I could come back, if we had a show running Monday night, I could, I could see and work on it and, and do it before I had to go back away to do this other show. So, but what I really wanted to tell them and what I did say to them was that, look, if we perform Monday night, since we're not advertising and nobody knows about us, we can get our friends from the theater to come in, and they could easily help us with word of mouth. This is a 120-seat theater, so it wouldn't be that hard to fill it. Um, and again, we weren't, weren't at that point. We weren't interested in money. We were interested in creating a kind of event, a kind of sense of people wanting to see our play. Um, and so the first, it turned out they loved the idea. And it turned out our first time we had an audience was a Monday night, which meant that we had a lot of support there. Um, uh, and it, it blew the roof off the place that night. And so from there, it, it immediately generated a buzz without any advertising whatsoever. Um, and we, because we had a five-week preview off-Broadway, um, so that was tough because we wanted to make sure we had an audience for it. And, and so that's how we sort of got where we were off-Broadway. And then from there, um, the, the show was configured in such a way that we always knew that if it were had if it happened to work, if an audience happened to like it, and if, and if the papers happened to be somewhat kind to us, that the eventual journey would be to end on Broadway. And, and uh, we knew that the one spot on Broadway we would really like to go would be the Henry Miller, because it's just a dump, and we wanted to make it even <laughs> We wanted to make it even worse. And we did. We made it worse. We beat it up. And one of our guys, when we were, when we were putting the lights, all nearly fell through the ceiling. So he put his whole feet through the ceiling. I thought, oh, that's brilliant. When the holes were there, I said, "Okay, that's we should have light coming through those holes." You know, it just all became about about that. Um, that's enough. That, that, that's, that's the story. That's Great. The story. Well, thanks for the inside scoop on that. <laughs> Switching to a different part of town, Nancy, can you talk a little bit about uh, Bad Boy and how that project came to be and your role as a commercial producer with it? Um, Bad Boy was started at the Actors Gang in. Somebody's between 95 
jobs out there. And uh, they did a, a, a workshop, the academic Actually, the, our, the director of Institute, Scott Ford, saw it out there. He had a meeting with them and said, look, this is the way we should do it. And Scott was one who conceived um, kind of being double parts. And so that, because when they, I believe, at the Actors Gang, it was a full cast. So that was a, a cast of large Eurocast. That won't fit in an off-Broadway theater. Because I talked to Iraq guys about that and said, you can't do it off-Broadway. You can't make the figures work on a 16-character musical off-Broadway. You can't, it just, it won't work. Um, and so then they, the office applied with Richard Rogers um, um, Foundation, the, um, the, it's actually the Academy of Arts and Letters, which Richard Rogers grants out every year, they get development grants out, they get production grants out, and they received a Richard Rogers grant. And they connected it with the directing company, and they did an intensive two-week uh, workshop, they did, and with like four performances at the end, and that was all. Um, I had been working with a group of off-Broadway uh, producers about developing new musicals and trying to figure out a way to develop new musicals in New York without going a regional route or trying to figure it out. Uh, I mean, these guys were obviously doing the same kind of thing. And um, uh, one of the, the people I we were, so we were reading scripts and we were um, uh, going to readings and I was called on a Sunday night by my associate, uh, Pam Parasol, and she said, I've just seen this show, you have to go see it. And so I went and stood in line on the Monday, the Sunday night, I was stood in line on Monday to go see it, and I brought a producer friend, a kind of a mainstream off-water producer with me. And I watched the show, and I, at intermission, he turned to me and said, well, let's, we're leaving. And I said, no, I can't wait to see how it turns out. <laughs> no, I can't, how it ended. <laughs> and I hadn't been in the theater with something where I didn't know how it ended in ages. And I said, I have to do this. And then we went, we had a bidding war over how to do it. It wasn't really a money bidding war. It was a, who's the, the producer who can bring the right things to the table on. It was really more, when we met with the agent, Mitch Douglas of ICM, who was very, he's a specialist in musical theater and is very helpful that if you get his attention, it's very helpful. Um, but he's a really great, he's a good agent, he's a great agent. And so he brought in the various producing producers who were interested in doing it. He wanted to bring us all together. He figured it was going to take a large producing team. Because just like Broadway, off-Broadway, it's a big show, also needs a large producing team because it costs a lot of money. And so that didn't work. Because the other people said, no, no, we're not interested, we're going to walk away. But I was very fortunate. It took, I guess, about a year, and I got a fabulous producing team of uh, Robin Goodman, uh, Gene Devanian, the producing office, uh, uh, Kevin McCollum and Jeffrey Sell, who I worked with on, worked with on Del Guarda. Um, and um, that was our, our group of producers. And so we each, we kind of divvied up. Oh, and, and actually, Riot Entertainment was the, was the big producer. We divvied up the capitalization that we'll each, earn, we'll each raise this amount of money. Um, and the capitalization was a million, uh, I think it ended up at a million four. That's a lot of money for off Broadway. And we did, we did it in the square, we got it, it was a theater, it was a good theater for us. Um, and, but there was a little catch. I mean, there's a lot we did right, there's a lot we did wrong. I mean, there's always, you could always go back and say, well, if we done this and if we done that, um, we asked them 
that boy is based on the, the, the that boy from Leaving World News and the ugly nasty little face. And the reason I hadn't gone to the, the reading in the first place was because the postcard had this ugly nasty face. <laughs> this is too weird for me. How do I go and see this? Um, and uh, I think that did probably keep some people away because the issue in New York in a commercial production is sometimes getting people across the threshold because they don't always believe the reviewers anymore, except for Broadway where it's kind of that the very legit, very kind of, oh yes, this is the, the great new play um, um, where the Times gives it its blessing and then the carriage trade with people who think they go to the theater all their life and they go twice a month or whatever, go to the theater. But it doesn't have that kind of built-in audience. And um, we get great reviews, we get fabulous reviews. And, uh, but we, and we were building building slowly and slowly and slowly and we did August of 2001 we did our best week ever we said okay September will be a little rough but we'll get through Christmas and we've got a multi-year show well you know what happened um, uh, September 11th was disastrous for us um, people thought that we couldn't go past Union Square that, you, that, you, that, that was the edge of, of um, Ground Zero. I mean, that's kind of the way people from outside the city felt. And we, we actually shut down for about three weeks. We, we played out. We had a closing. We closed two weeks after September 11th. We packed the house. We shut down for about five weeks. We came back. We came back for about six weeks. Um, we couldn't quite get the momentum to go. We basically all, lost all of our momentum. Um, but the good news is that uh, that boy was uh, licensed by from this place, so it doesn't do many musicals and many plays, but they fell in love with it. And it's been being done in almost every edgy little theater in every city in the United States. So there's Boston is uh, reopened for the third time, it's been in Charleston, it's been in St. Louis, it's been in Des Moines, it's uh, all over the country. And so um, there are all kinds of places being done. Uh, we're very excited. We're, we're kind of talking to some people about possibly a London production. We probably wouldn't produce, but we would act as advisors for it. So we'll see. So that's actually a great segue to Gabe and to John, which is the role of the regional theater in actually sustaining the momentum of a show that runs in New York, or vice versa. A show has a great regional life, and then it comes to New York. Um, John Kimball at North Shore Music Theater has done a whole host of new musicals, um, including one coming up called Memphis um, that Gabe is directing. So maybe you could talk, John, about that project and, and then the two of you, how you are you know, working artistically to develop that piece. Okay, well I was looking at uh, looking for a, a new piece to do in, my, uh, in this season, 2003. And I was out in uh, Palo Alto, California, and went to a, actually it was a NAMT, what, what did you call that? Summit. A NAMT <laughs> summit. Well, well, what happens is they, they bring uh, producers from around the country to a regional theater. We've done it at North Shore. This was the second or third one. Yeah, yeah. Palo Alto, a theater works out there. And you go in uh, with a bunch of producers, and you see a lot of uh, new works. Um, they did a workshop reading of Memphis out there, and I just loved it. I thought it was a, a really special piece. It's written by Joe DiPietro, who did I Love You, You're Perfect, Now Change. 
and David Bryan is the composer, and he's the keyboardist for Bon Jovi. Uh, so it's a it's a rock musical composed by a real rock musician. Um, it it I felt it had something I had not seen in a long time in a musical, a kind of joy that that just sort of rises out of it for if unexplained reasons. Um, so I talked with Randy. We decided that we would do a co-production. We, we would produce it at North Shore Music Theater, and then a few months later, it would open it in California. Because part of the problem in the regionals is where is the second and third production of a new work? That's a really major issue. So we're trying to do a lot in terms of co-producing things around the country with different kinds of theaters. Uh, so we looked for a director. We, we talked about a lot of people. Um, Gabe has done a lot of uh, new works. I had never actually met him, but I'd seen a few of, uh, of the pieces he'd worked on. I liked them a lot. And uh, Joe knew him, and Randy certainly knew him. So we talked with Gabe. He decided to go with the project, and we did a reading of it uh, just a month and a half or so ago here in New York. Uh, and that was very helpful. Uh, did some rewrites based on that. And we had our final callbacks yesterday for casting for the North Shore production. So that's kind of... And it will be the same cast that goes to California? We're not sure. We're going to see how it goes at North Shore. And we have the option of keeping the leads from our production or changing one or two. We don't know what's going to happen in terms of rewrites. If once we see it up, if it needs to go through some major changes, characters may change in the piece. So we want to keep the option open for uh, some changes. And that's the, uh, another thing about working in the regional theaters. You have a little more, and I think anyway, I'm not sure about off-Broadway or Broadway, but in the regionals, we, we expect a piece to evolve as it goes from one theater to the next to the next. And that's why the second and third productions are so important. We, we kind of look at it almost from the playwright's point of view, the composer's points of view, that we're really there to help them shape their piece, if you will. And you're, uh, do you want to add anything to sort of what your process is from this point forward from a director's point of view? I'm just thrilled that there are producers in regional theaters and in general, like John, who look beyond the needs of their locale and their uh, core audience and look to the opportunity that their uh, situation provides theater long term and, uh, and uh, in terms of creation of new pieces and the support of new and young authors. And uh, I think the more that regional theater audiences are made to feel a part of that process, the more risks that the regional theaters can even take. And even now, they're taking, I think, substantially more risks than one can take in the commercial uh, arena. So I'm grateful for, for producers like John, who also, like he just said, looks, beyond, looks at the opportunity at North Shore to be a stepping stone in the process of the development of a new show and doesn't necessarily expect it to be perfect, whatever that means. We actually uh, don't, don't expect it to be perfect at all. We, you really can't, I'm so stupid, I can't see what a piece is until I see it up on its feet. I just, I just can't get it off of the page. I can get it a little bit out of a reading, but I've really got to see the piece, and I've got to see it in front of an audience 
to understand where its light is. But we, we started to do new works, and I think the Alliance had a lot to do with it, around the country uh, probably 10, 11 years ago. And now our audience, we have 26,000 season ticket holders. Half of them, you know, we ask them, do you like it, don't you like it? Half of them like the classics, half of them want the new works. They only want new works. So the whole idea of a risk, we've, we've managed to bring our audience into line to take the risk with us and to understand the process of a developing piece so that they know that they're part of the, the life of a piece and that when it goes on, it will change. No, that's a bit more. And it's great that you've nurtured your audience to, be, uh, to, to take on that role and, and welcome it. And I think different regional theaters around the country are obviously all trying to do that, I think, and are succeeding to different degrees based on the, the makeup of the audience, I suppose. But uh, I still think it must be difficult for uh, someone running a regional theater to, to concern themselves 100% with the life and longevity of a piece beyond its production. Obviously, John is doing that and with organizations like uh, NAMT and so on. There are the opportunities for producers to work off each other, and more and more productions that I'm involved in are, are uh, their production depends on having a couple of, uh, of the interest from more than one theater just because of the costs of, of doing the show, and every regional theater wants there to at least be the potential for, for new life. There is a new person at the Goodspeed Opera House where I work often who's dedicated now, Bob Allwine, to just trying to find futures for pieces that they are planning to do or would like to plan to do. And that's that's exciting that regionals are, are now making that part of their job to to look out for the future of the piece. Uh, it's interesting in, in our project together with the Memphis, we're going to be converting the show from the round to a proscenium situation. It's wonderful that that hasn't stopped them from finding partners. That you and it's, and uh, obviously that will be one of the things that we that we spend our time with uh, in the layover. But we'll also be looking. Don't at be people worried about that or directors <laughs> choreographers. I think it's it, then we'll have a show that can go either place. There you go. But um, I'm also realizing just to to, to, to finalize that this point uh, that it has also become extremely helpful for young. We're not so young, eager producers, uh, experienced or inexperienced, to latch on to a piece as the Arrakis did with Urinetown, as, as uh, in our case, there's a gentleman named George W. George, who is Ruth Goldberg's son. He's in his 80s, but the guy has produced on Broadway since the, the 50s and, and some wonderful shows and some legendary flops, but, but uh, he's a wonderfully alert and uh, passionate person. And, he single-handedly is not going to bring this show to Broadway he, uh, by his own admission, but he will certainly help finance a demo or finance or, or uh, yeah. That's another thing about this particular piece. It's got two regional theaters and a Broadway producer involved in its evolution. So that's kind of unique for it. And the other, so so I'm I'm finding that I've been working on a project with uh, Kendra and Ebb, a musical of Skin of Our Teeth, and we've. Their agents, Sam Cohn and I, and Biff Lip, who represents Joe Stein, the book writer, have all been trying getting the piece out to regional theater after regional theater and trying to find where we can take the show next. And uh, just now, Marty Bell has come on board because he, he reread the piece after uh, 
having seen it since we've been rewriting it, and uh, is now passionately uh, involved in trying to, to get it somewhere. And it's as of his involvement that the regional theaters are starting to now go, oh, we want to do it, we want to do it, and we're doing a reading next week for the Long War, where we think it will be an ideal place to, to premiere this new, uh, this new uh, draft of the piece. And, and so the point is that it, there is an odd marriage, uh, I think, that is, that is becoming necessary between the commercial, hungry commercial producer uh, or just commercial producer, period, who, who, who uh, has passion and, and, and is willing to put in the time on a piece from, from its, uh, from its uh, inception, and the regional theaters where they can actually get that work done and the piece can evolve in front of an audience and, uh, and, and benefit from, from that reaction. Creating a network in the purest sense of that word, networking, but creating the network, which is what Nancy just talked about, from the Fringe Festival to Broadway, I mean, all the different networks that you're talking about here. You started to say a piece from its inception, which we haven't quite talked about right now, you know, a piece before it's actually really formed, because you saw Memphis, it was formed, Nancy saw Batboy, it was, I mean, not perfect yet, but it was formed. So Tom is works at an organization called Musical Theater Works, and for those of you that don't know it, it really does nurture um, musical theater writers and their development of their work. And they've just started a commissioning program for writers. Can you talk about why you created that program and what you hope to accomplish, and also what the role of directors is in the development and commissioning? Sure. Well, I've actually only been there six months. I came from Lincoln Center Theater where I was um, in a variety of hats for about 18 seasons. Um, and when I arrived, I inherited a situation where there was, um, they were trying to create a resident writers group at Musical Theater Works, so about 12 or 13 writers, um, the, so the so-called three-name writers, uh, Jason Robert Brown, <laughs> Michael John LaCuse, Ricky Dean Gordon, you get the idea. Uh, and, uh, and for lots of reasons, that program never really came together in, in a satisfactory way. But the impetus behind it, the impulse behind it was correct, I think, which is to create as much of a nurturing environment as you can for artists, not just writers, uh, to create work that is a gamble. I mean, I think the things that, that John responded to, that Nancy responded to, that Gabe and John here are responding to, are things that they feel passionate about, and they're not necessarily, if you look at them on paper, I mean, a musical people who have to pay to pee, it's crazy. I mean, I saw the reading of the dramatist, and I, and I thought, this is the most brilliant musical I've ever seen. I go to readings all the time. Who's going to produce this? And it takes a, someone who's passionate, like Michael David and the Rucker guys, to say, that's a, this, we have to do this, we must do this. And Or Nancy to get so excited after seeing an intermission saying, I want to see what happens. That's the kind of environment that you want to create. And so my thought when I got there at Musical Theater Works in January was to say, let's not throw out everything when we throw out the resident writers program, but to create some sort of mechanism to encourage people to try some odd things. Um, so we began to commission people, uh, some of whom I had worked with before and some of whom I had not. Uh, and in, some, in one of the three cases that we commissioned, we're actually this for, uh, uh, it was the director who came to me, Chris Amboise, with an idea for a piece about uh, the end of vaudeville. Uh, and a chapter of history that I knew nothing about. I knew something about Volvo, but not about the thing he was talking about. And so he and this composer, Mike Osborne, uh, are creating this piece in our theater, and they, and they come once a week, and they 
work in our rehearsal room and they're writing it from scratch, which is great. Um, another piece that we're working on came to me from um, a guy who's never written uh, for the theater before, but knows musicals probably as well as anybody. It's Bill Rosenfield, who was for many, many years the head of cast albums at RCA Victor and worked at the public theater and many other places in his early career. Um, and he saw a documentary film about these, uh, these three guys who biked across America uh, called True Fans, and it's just a remarkable s story. It's a, uh, a, it's, these, it's a portrait of America seen through the eyes of these three guys. Um, and we matched him up with uh, these two young writers out of NYU called Chris Miller and Nathan Tyson, and they're going to write the score for it. Uh, and the third piece uh, came to me from an actress, uh, Andrea Frierson Tony, who is beginning to write as well. Uh, and I worked with her on her first writing project at Lincoln Center. Uh, which took existing material, and now we're going to do something with uh, new music. It's a piece about Gee's uh, Bend, Alabama, which you may have read about. Uh, there was an exhibit at the Whitney Museum recently of uh, quilts from Gee's Bend, uh, which is this amazing story about a plantation that was converted by the government into a town of freestanding citizens. Uh, and their story is, is told through this musical. So those are the first three things we commissioned, but as you can see, they come from very unusual and uh, disparate sources, and so we'll continue to do that. Um, since I've been there, we've done five readings of shows. Uh, we've done one co-production with a regional theater, the Prince Music Theater in Philadelphia, a piece called Green Violin. Um, and I'm hoping we'll do lots more of that. And we're talking to uh, theaters in New York, uh, Manhattan Theater Club, Second State, places like that that we can partner with because we don't want to just be developing theater. We want to be producing as well, co-producing it. Um, and we're also hoping to do some work with uh, commercial producers. I was speaking to Nancy about that, uh, the Dodgers, about that uh, project. Uh, and I think that the lines have been blurring for quite a while now. So uh, I feel very comfortable that we will uh, be able to get a lot of good musicals going through lots of different networks. And do we think that this co-production and collaboration is part of a response to the economic climate? Yeah. Well, that's what it's about. 
So, Jeff, we haven't gotten to you yet. How did Santa Don't Happen for you? Um, um, do you I wasn't at the last panel, so I'm not sure. Oh, um, you talked about how you got the gig. I actually didn't, but uh, <laughs> uh, producer Jack Daglish uh, had known me for a number of, number of years. I had performed in Cats with his lover like 12 years ago and had been sort of following my work over the past several years and had known that I had started directing and choreographing and saw me in step class one day and said, oh, I hear you're directing. I have this piece that I saw up at the Yale Cabaret and he gave me the CD and I listened to it and I thought it was awful. I thought it was so, <laughs> honestly, it was the worst thing I'd ever heard. And he, I, <laughs> and, uh, he, uh, he asked me to come in on the first reading of it to just a bunch of friends sitting around singing and reading it out loud for the first time here in New York. And basically, he just sort of gave it to me and said, do something with it, you know? And it's sort of in the, I guess, two years it took to get to where we are now. Um, we did several readings of it. The first reading I was in, the second reading I choreographed, the third reading I was the director on. And then we did a production at a Moss Musical Theater for... Um, a month off off Broadway at the Kirk Theater, and it sort of just built momentum. And I, I have to say, just the journey of where when I first listened to the CD to how much I love the show now, it's it's really been so exciting. And uh, I think part of the reason is it has been so successful is that Jack, the producer, has so believed in it and so has trusted me with it. You know, it's that that is like a director's dream to have a uh, a producer who's so nurturing and so trusting and so. Um, and I, I think a, a lot of the reason it's so successful too is that everyone involved with it really was very green. I mean, experienced but very un. un uh, we're not known in business, you know. We're unknown to love what we do and are very good at what we do, but just have never gotten a chance and. Uh, it took a huge leap of faith for him anyway to invest all this money in all of us, the designers, the writer who was dressed out of college, the, the choreographer, the, all the actors in it are like all right out of college, super talented. And I think that's what made it, has made it so special and so, um, and I think what has made people so attracted to it. Um, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It's an interesting process. It's like, uh, um, who, again, who is triggering the momentum of a show? And in this case, it sounds like it was Jack. Jack, yeah, he saw something in it. And and, and then, was he the one saying, now we're going to move to the Houseman Theater? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, it was, it was you know, obviously it always ends up being about money, you know, yeah. you know. Um, you know, we were always trying to improve it, do rewrites, trying to make it better, trying to get um, investors in. Um, and, you know, I primarily was the artistic and creative end of things, trying to make it better, trying to make something that I would enjoy watching, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, but yeah, it was him, single-handedly, that basically did it. You know, I, I think he's absolutely brilliant or absolutely insane. I don't know, one of the two, you know. It's, um, and now it's, you know, we're off Broadway and hopefully we'll be there for a while. We'll see. Um, so um, let's open it up for some questions that you all uh, might have uh, about 
these shows or other work or just in general. Um, I, I can't really see very well, but. Um, <laughs> oh, great. Down here. Um, I have a question for Dave Barry only because um, I'm so in love with arts, and I so thought that it was what, in a sense, the, commu the, the community at large needed in response to 2001, and I do not understand why it's not here. I thought perhaps, given what I'm hearing in terms of how things get connected because people know people know people and they decide to take things on, I don't understand why it's not somewhere. But she, she's mentioning uh, King of Hearts, which is a musical that opened on Broadway in, what, 75, 76, something like that, starring, uh, uh, well, Robbie Benson did the early one, and then Don Scardino opened it on Broadway, and and, uh, and it, it opened during a newspaper strike, and, and uh, also was, uh, by all accounts, overproduced. Um, and uh, closed quickly, and so, or fairly quickly. Uh, and then I mounted, or, or directed a revival of the show at the Goodspeed Opera House last fall. And uh, it's a beautiful, uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful show, and thank you. And I, I agree with you about the <laughs> content of the show. I think it's, it's, a, uh, uh, it, 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 it's a beautiful piece that deserves to be seen. And I share your frustration that it, it has not resurfaced here. I think it's tricky when a show has had a shot in New York on Broadway and not cut it for whatever reason. It's tricky for any producer to sink what is now proportionally four, five, six times the money that it would have cost when it was originally done uh, into it and try again. Uh, I can't say I blame them because it's already been sort of run up the flagpole once kind of thing, and, and it's a tricky thing. There's been, I guess, I'm trying to think of the, I guess, I'm thinking of the Kiss of the Spider Woman and a couple of shows that opened near New York and, and got bad reactions, but then came back and did okay and, and ran, in that case, of Kiss of the Spider Woman for a few years. Uh, but, but it's tricky to find those examples, and uh, I think that's one of the frustrations. And so likewise, because of the increasing hope of regional theaters to continue their work with the eventual sort of end of the tunnel or, or whatever being New York, I think it's hard for other regionals to say, oh, I want to do a production of that because they look down the road and say, well, where is it going to go after that? Um, and it's too bad. And I think you know a tour of the show would probably make really a lot of sense in, in light of that um, because I think it can and did and would get good the critical reaction now. Uh, I don't know about in New York. It's, it's tricky. The piece is also somewhat, I want to say, sentimental in the in the best words. The best, and, and I think sentimental pieces in New York just have a tougher time. In my experience, they just do. I don't know if your experience is jive with that, but it's, it can be it can be tricky. Audiences may go nuts for them, but but it's tough for critics to to get on board. Um, all the time in New York, I just, I just find it's again, it's, it's a it's kind of a rash generalization, but but the uh, that's the only explanation I have, and I think there is ongoing efforts to to, to remount the show. But I, I'm not familiar at all with the 1970 production, um, but is, was your production very? I imagine it's very. Well, it was different, certainly, just by the this 
the contrast of the spaces. The, the, the original production was in the, uh, the, I think it was the Marriott. It was, it was a big, a big theater, and uh, um, the sets were extremely uh, expansive and so on. And we were in the small stage at the Goodspeed Opera House, uh, which is uh, about a 20-foot patch of <laughs> stage with no, literally no wing space at all and no fly space. And but I, I, frankly, I love those, those kind of limitations for any show, uh, essentially, because it does force you to be creative. And but but for this particular show, it worked. Uh, it really brought it down to as I think it it should, always should have, no matter what the budget, to the people and to the uh, to the uh, characters. So. Uh, it helped us, I think, in that case. And I know the authors felt uh, uh, certain relief and, uh, and, and joy at seeing a production that, that, that was closer in their minds to what they had envisioned in terms of that scale. Well, I, I thought that the intimacy is one of the things that worked for Yes, exactly. I mean, absolutely, because each person that was on the stage was so detailed. Mm -hmm. I've, I've never seen that in This is a question about future audiences and bringing children and families to see musical theater. Uh, we've broadly toned on Broadway and uh, we've been struggling uh, because of the ticket prices. And uh, excluding a Disney, which can afford $10 or $20 million for production, where uh, is the place for families? children or are you asking about family entertainment because that's two different ideas I'm, I'm saying that um, there's a lot of theater that gets done for younger audiences theater works usa is a, is a great practitioner of that the new victory theater in new york is nothing but the program they for young are I'm not sure whether that's good or bad. It's hard. I also think it's, 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 it's
It's hard enough to get college age people to come to the off Broadway. Yeah. I think the trick is also to support any show off Broadway. There's going to be a minimum ticket price of whatever, thirty-five to fifty dollars, and that's I think going to be tougher for a family to justify paying that kind of money for a for a three or four or five year old kid. So they go to off off Broadway. There's lots of off off Broadway uh, uh, theater companies that do children's theater, and that's why. So I think it is it is tough. You have to go to the regional, regional theaters. theaters. I mean, yes, we do a lot of family entertainment kinds of things. Regional theaters, John, like so many of our theaters, actually have new musical programs for families or sort of under a certain age. It happens all over the country. It just becomes very hard in New York City. I mean, here Ensemble Studio Theater, which is where Project came right, and, and then uh, Tada, and there's other children's theater companies. Right, and uh, there, so there, there are a lot of off-off Broadway companies that do. I don't think there are enough parents who are going to take little kids to theater to support an ongoing commercial production. So the family entertainment has got to be broader, a broader audience range. So you could go from six to, you know, teenagers, uh, or even, I mean, maybe some four or five-year-olds. But I think there's an there's a real difference between taking four and five-year-olds to the theater and taking. Um, you know, upper elementary school, I mean, elementary school and high school. And I, I, I don't think there are enough people who are, we, we don't have that audience. I don't know how to develop it. And even the regionals, I mean, how long do you run a children's show for? We're not talking well, about no, I mean, we do Peter Pan. Well, yeah, right. that's three, four weeks. But, right. I mean, you've got Annie, you've got 42nd Street, you've got Thoroughly Modern Millie. These are all yeah, family no. musicals, yeah. But they're not really for, for little kids. elementary yeah. school kids. sitting up here, it's entirely how it hits your heart, what your emotion is to the piece, and what makes you want to be involved with it. It's just, it's, you have to have some kind of, of connection with it. that are a kind of celebration of life, something that celebrates the human spirit. That's why I'm in musical theater. I love, I, musicals take that just a little higher and it, it, it kind of bypasses the intellect and goes right into the heart. That's what excites me about musical theater, about theater in general. It's, it's a really hard thing to define. I know it, but I've spent a lot of years figuring it out for myself. It's going to be different for Gabe, different for John. Well, can we have the other sound? I 
Thank you for listening to Masters of the Stage. This program was made possible by support from the Stage Directors and Choreographers Society, the National Labor Union celebrating five decades representing the needs and aspirations of its members.